Hello and welcome to the St. Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Simon Carley and this week we've got a little podcast based on some Vox Pops which I put together at the European Resuscitation Council meeting in Slovenia. Really good meeting actually and definitely worth going to well, you missed this year, but definitely go next year because it's in Manchester, which is the home of St. Emelins. And we are going to have, well, I hope that we're going to have some significant influence on that conference. We'll certainly be taking part and it's going to be a lot of fun. I love the European conferences. They've got a really nice vibe to them. And on this particular occasion, I also learned a great deal. Now, I've got a few people on here, some uh, some really great people, some some very old friends and some fantastic resuscitation people. What I've done is put a few little collections together and to hopefully give you a bit of an overall feel for the conference and some of the highlights. So I hope you enjoy it. And well, have a think about Manchester next year. I think it's going to have a really good time. Oh, next year. And I think we're going to mention it in the podcast quite a lot. Ilcora coming out. So it's going to be a massive conference and potentially really change the world of resuscitation for years to come. So on we go. my first Indeed. podcast experience so and uh, so we've also got James with us James you're from Leeds is that right yes I'm a student from Leeds okay and what are you doing here um so this is my first time at the ERC um I've come here to present a bit of work um this year but also um as the medical student rep for the young ERC okay so we're seeing this in a lot of organizations now that they're trying to encourage people to get involved in these conferences and the organizations really from a very early age and I think that's good if you go back a few years a lot of conferences were average age was about 65 yeah, um, I'm a bit younger than that. Um, yeah, so good. it's really exciting, actually, across Europe. There's a lot of medical students who have come to the ERC. Certainly, if you look at things like Restart a Heart this year, um, we've had medical students in the UK, in Austria, in Germany, all involved with that. Um, and it's great that we've been able to come together at the ERC. Yeah, and I think it, it makes the conference run a bit better. So um, what have you got out of this particular conference? Anything that you found exciting or surprising? Yeah, so this is my first international conference. Um, so I've been really interested to see the variation um, between different countries and the way we do things. So whether that's um, how we approach um, staffing on ambulances, whether it's how much we use mechanical CPR devices, um, the use of CFRs, targeted temperature management, talking to sort of colleagues from other countries. I've learned that there are very different ways of doing things um, and lots of questions going away about that. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of going to international conferences precisely for that because it, it opens your eyes to where you might be unconsciously incompetent. So just because we do it this way all the time, you know, doesn't mean it's the best way. So is there anything, anything that you picked up on the presentation that you think, oh, I did not know that? Um, so we just had a chat with Jerry Nolan, a Professor Jerry Nolan at the Young ERC talk about prognostication in cardiac arrest. Yeah. Um, and um, it was actually a bit of a discussion with members of the Young ERC about different approaches in different countries. Um, so the use of biomarkers in prognostication is something I didn't know a lot about until today. So there's a lot of work going on in that. Was there any particular ones that he mentioned? Did he mention about the neurofilament um, stuff that came out of TTM? Yes, um, and we were discussing that a lot of people view cost as a barrier to using that, but actually he was talking about the cost of that not being as much as people think. So it'd be interesting to see whether that develops more or less in the UK. Um, yeah, the, the general thing with biomarkers is the more they get used, the cheaper they become. I mean, troponins were really expensive when they first came out, and now, gosh, you, know, you sprain your ankle and get a troponin. My <laughs> oh, I didn't say that. Honestly, it's not true. Um, it might be. could be. Um, I thought it was um, quite interesting as well. I think the whole prognostication thing is changing dramatically. Um, we've had a lot of stuff here about when you can do it so it's not an early decision. The pupillary response is not helpful in the initial stages, but much better later on. And um, we're still seeking that holy grail, aren't we? That there'll be something that says, oh, well, this patient's definitely going to survive with a great neurological outcome, and this patient hasn't. And my impression is we're not there yet. Yeah, and it would be lovely to be able to say, these patients will survive with a good neurological outcome. Maybe the more feasible thing to say is uh, these patients are unlikely to. 
um, and yeah. to sort of look at it that way. But certainly with new guidelines next year, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, lots of talk about the Ilcor guidelines coming out next year. What's your feeling? Is it going to be a radical change? Or? Um, I wouldn't like to, to guess, really. Um, it's a topic that I'm quite new to anyway. Um, but I think, uh, I, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe, maybe some small developments. But maybe. I still think we're going to start with A. Yeah, and probably. Then B, and then C, maybe. Possibly, after yeah. That. I, think, I don't think that's going to change. Anyway, thank you for your time. And go out there. You'll be in Manchester next year with us. Yes. So it is in Manchester, which is my hometown. And I know that the Young ERC group is going to put on quite a lot of events and make it a fun place to be and get as many people involved as possible. One last plug if you're interested, Young ERC on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Um, and you'll probably find out how to get involved with that next year as well. Disappointingly, not on Snapchat. And not yet. Okay, it'll come, it'll come. <laughs>
I think even it's not just even the skills, is it? It's the fact that when something happens, they mm. might be able to prompt somebody to do something. Exactly. So the whole age thing, we know that you probably need to be about the age of about 12 mm-hmm. before you can physically do CPR. But it shouldn't stop us teaching in primary schools the concepts, the principles of calling for help, uh, recovery position. But they can also talk through other people. And we know if, if cases where this has happened, where they can talk through what, what needs to be done. Um, but yes, the age of about 12 is a great time because they're excited about it. They've seen it on the television. They're interested in all the technology and the apps. And that's an ideal moment to capture them because the later teenagers, they've got other interests <laughs> which tend to supersede this sort of thing. I completely understand that. So it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, how do people find out more? So basically, uh, Restart a Heart, World Restart a Heart, uh, throughout the UK... Uh, is run in every region by each ambulance trust. Uh, we have got a, a website on the Resuscitation Council website, www.resus.org.uk, uh, and people can go to that to, to find out where their local activity is. But essentially, just ask around. So there's various things that you can do. Uh, you can either engage, if you're in a society or a college, an activity from a national level or on a regional level, or if you've got kids at school and you're on a board of governors at a school level, or just on an individual level, uh, and just make sure that you go out and at least ensure that one other person is trained. But whatever you can do is beneficial. And again, I think my views of the world have changed a lot over the years. And, and I see this as a public health initiative. I'm just, we, we, we're nodding, which never works well sure. on the radio or on a podcast, but we're both nodding at each other. And when I kicked off in emergency medicine, I didn't think that we were a public health mm. organisation. We so are. I, I completely agree. There's so much, and it's something we've championed on St. Evans, and I think we should all understand that public health is where we're at. And if you think it's going to reduce all the amount of work you get and you won't see the exciting stuff, that's not true. It this might is, delay it. This is one of the things that, that I find the most beneficial in emergency medicine. So I've been involved in a few... Um, uh, injury and illness prevention strategies and and we can now get involved in preventing illness and injury so things like this preventing people from having cardiac arrest you know road safety initiatives where you prevent people from having injuries these are actually proving to be more enjoyable nowadays uh, than some of the other stuff no i think that's true um, i'd also echo a little bit of chris moulton that to some extent we're not completely preventing things we're delaying them mm-hmm. but there's nothing wrong with that there's well, nothing wrong in delay. There's nothing wrong in delay. Uh, and there's, the quote has always been said that uh, about cardiac arrest and it's saving people who are too young to die. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it may be delaying, but it may also be preventing. Uh, and it, it, when you meet the survivors, it just reaffirms how wonderful this is because you meet people who would otherwise be dead. And you see that the joy that they have, that their family have, uh, and it, just even one survivor makes it so worthwhile. Awesome. Right, so we will see you, well, I'll probably see you before then, but I'll see you in Manchester next year. Manchester 2020, the ERC Guidelines Conference. Oh, be yes, because Ilcor will be out next year. It's an Ilcor meeting as well, yes. So that's a big one. It's a huge one, and it's in Manchester in the UK. Home of the greatest football club in the world. No, I think you'll find that's Doncaster Rovers. You see, we don't agree about everything. We don't. Thanks, Andy. So we've also got friends of St. Emlyn's, of course, Sandra Vickers. Hi. And Morton. Hi, Simon. 
Now, not everybody knows Morton. Morton, um, you've worked with us in Copenhagen. you worked with us all over the place. You're a big smack person. What do you do in the real world? In the real world, I work as a paramedic in Denmark and um, do a lot of EMS education. And Sandra, you know Morton very well, don't you? Is there any particular reason why? I, I'm married to him. Yeah, so they're a bit of a dole act that are <laughs> traveling the world and looking at conferences. Look out for them. They're great friends of ours. Listening back to this podcast when I recorded it, it makes it sound as if uh, Morton is the person that we know well and Sandra is just accompanying him. Actually, it's completely wrong. Sandra is one of the most inspirational people that we've worked with in ages. She's a, um, an emergency physician from Denmark. She's an incredible educator and gave a fantastic presentation on the research gym here at ERC. We've known her for many, many years and um, talked with her in Copenhagen. If you ever get the opportunity to um, see Sandra speak um, and also meet Morton, then please do. They are just fabulous people. But I didn't want to give the impression that the way it came across, I just made an assumption that everybody knew Sandra. And uh, Morton is the new guy who we're introducing, but they're both a fantastic double act. And uh, they're here with us in ERC19 in Slovenia. It's been a really nice conference. Um, I was just going to go around and ask a few people, I mean, what sort of things have you picked up on this conference? What sort of really floated you about and made you sort of interested in the world of resuscitation? Well, so I think a lot of interesting things have been presented here, but one of the things I've noticed is uh, the ERC's organizing committees um, that they've been trying to get people to work on their presentations, the debate style, the time for networking and the breaks and the time for discussion after the sessions. I really enjoyed that. It made knowledge translate, translation so much better. Yeah, I think there's a real recognition here, and I think they're going to do more next year in Manchester, actually, about the fact that this is an event where people need to discuss amongst themselves. It's not just about us telling people what to do. Any science, any sort of things that really um, change your practice? Yeah, I really liked one of the presentation in the Young Investigator Award session. And that was the study on um, fellow patients witnessing cardiac arrest. It's something we've all talked about and we often think about when we're in recess. And I really enjoyed hearing how she's working on the topic with both us as the recess team and the patients and the framework around that. So in, in the UK, we often talk about the, the fact that, yes, you do resuscitation, there may well be other patients around. But in the NHS, we have these soundproof curtains. So you pull these little paper curtains across and they take all the sound away. Yeah, we have those in Denmark as well. I'm not sure they've ever been tested. I think maybe they're not as effective as we think. Um, I, I think I, ag- I agree. And Morton, what about yourself? What have you picked up? I agree with you guys that uh, the educational part has been uh, a little more uh, visual here at this conference. There's been more of an agenda towards trying to uh, do better presentations and use better slides. And I'm, uh, I'm hoping to see that even more in Manchester next year. And then uh, yesterday I saw a presentation of uh, Peter Kunchuk that talked about whether or not there is a... A sign saying that the medication doesn't work as effectively when you use it via the intraosseous access. And there has uh, been some studies over in around Seattle where there have been signs that the same medications have had worse outcome when they were given via intraosseous instead of intravenously. But the studies wasn't uh, high quality enough yet, but I'm interested in, in that area in particular. 
Oh, that's fascinating because the I.O. is equivalent to I.V. has been a mantra, well, dogma, I would say, as go as far as that, that everything is exactly the same. In fact, some people are arguing that it's better. So that, that would be a real shake-up if that's the case. Yes, and one of the things that they were trying to, to investigate was that whether or not if it was the way that the profile of the medication was changed if it enters the body via the the bone instead of directly into the veins. and But they couldn't see it from the results because the design of the study was focusing on lidocaine and amuterone and the effect of that versus placebo. But they could just see when they were analyzing the, the numbers that everybody that got it via I.O. had a lower or worse outcome. So that's interesting. Oh, that is. I mean, we've always got to be careful with that because that, that's an observation. It wasn't the prime part of the study. But in fact, so this is hypothesis generating yes. rather than fact. But that's really interesting. Because, and oh gosh, don't, I love science. Because science, you think you know the answer, and then all of a sudden somebody does some stats, and then we think maybe it's not quite as clear cut. Oh, that's fascinating. And the one that got me, actually, um, I'll talk about mine now, is I went to the presentation about TTM, you know, targeted temperature management, which we've all talked about a lot in the past about the fact that the TTM1 trial showed there was no difference between 33 and 36. And I know, because I speak to colleagues, that some people have said, well, actually, there's no difference. We're going to carry on doing 33. And other people have said, you know, we're just going to do 36. There's a really interesting set of data across several studies that show that mortality has risen since the production of the TTM1 trial. And we also know that temperature control has not been as good since the TTM trial. And what we think, and again, this is hypothesis generating rather than fact, is that people who've... People have, either misinterpreted the trial entirely and said we don't need to do temperature management because let's face it 36 is still hypothermia or they've tried to go for 36 and it's much easier to overshoot because you're, you're closer to, to a temperature but the graphs that were shown in that and the numbers involved and the sudden sudden change in directory of the mortality rates falling to now starting to rise at the point of that trial being published are shocking I mean that really surprised me and I'm, I'm fascinated to see how TTM2 and the next one which comes out with earlier hypothermia whether that shows a difference I, I, that was a real again a bit like the dogmatic yes. you know, we know this we know this we know this actually we don't know this yes and and what they were testing in, in Seattle in that trial was whether or not we should go back to lidocaine because amuterone has been the number one choice in most of the world for the past five seven years and, and Mr. Kudinchok has stuck with lidocaine, so he wanted to suggest that out. And, and the study showed that, at least in that study, that lidocaine actually has some favorable results. So we're going front and back between two drugs that we have actually used for the last 15, 20 years. So when can we conclude anything? And that is probably never. I know, Sandra. Do you sometimes think we're in a Back to the Future movie? Yeah, constantly. <laughs> There's some sort of resuscitation DeLorean out there that's just going to take us back and we'll be giving yeah. Petrillium next week. I want the shoes. Yeah, the shoes will be killed. So I think like with fashion, the, more, the longer you've been around in research on topics, things are going to come back and we're going to see that as well in medicine, I think. It's, yeah. Do you know what? When I was choosing my career, um, there were a couple of options. But the major reason in my interviews that I said I wanted to do medicine is because we'd never know it. It would constantly be changing and we're constantly learning and it'd be constantly doing what we're doing now. And I think this conference has shown that. Um, next year's going to be interesting. As I said to some of the others, ILCOR guidelines are coming out. We'll see how this all pans out. But thank you for your time. 
safe trip back to Copenhagen and see you in Manchester see you in Manchester see you in Manchester have fun guys So, Jas, you're responsible for all of this. Just introduce yourself, because people won't be able to recognise you because it's on a podcast. I'm Jas Saw. I chair the ERC Scientific Committee for this meeting in Ljubljana. So my job was to get all the speakers and people here. But the mixing was all to do with Ljubljana, the great weather, the great conference centre, the great people we managed to get together, the local volunteers excellent speakers the teams in the recess competition I, I could go on yeah it's been it's been really good and Ljubljana's a lovely place it's quite small but you can stand here you can see the mountains and um, hills one of the most forested countries in Europe after Finland and it's just been wonderful actually yeah so you miss the castle you missed yep. how clean the streets yeah, are and safe no cars in the town centre yep. you can walk everywhere food is great the booze is cheap and there are dragons but we can't talk about that yes <laughs> right but the important stuff is from the conference itself so you brought together a whole bunch of people and i think there was a perception among some that maybe with ilcor coming next year we're in a bit of a downtime and there wouldn't be that much to talk about but actually it's been completely the opposite it's been loads of things with the theme of controversies a lot of things which i think people thought were done and dusted have actually been you know, really challenged here. So what were the things that you took away? So from my point of view, we hit issues on every link of the chain of survival. Yeah. You know, from the lay person recognising cardiac arrest and starting CPR, hence restart a heart day and teaching yes. school kids a big yeah, emphasis so on Andy's that. Andy's talked to us about that and that sounds a really good thing. So two hands can save a life and that's global. So it's way beyond Europe. Yeah, dialing 999 or 112 or whatever and the dispatcher telling you what to do, getting the nearest helper through a nap, getting you an AED there, clearly that's important. But we don't know where the best place is to put the apps and put the AEDs yeah. and whether people are actually willing to grab an AED and run to someone's house because lots of people arrest at home and start resuscitating them before an ambulance crew arrives. So that all that stuff is the big saving stuff. And then... Oh, so before you go on, before the next bit, one of the things I was having a conversation with today was, is it Peter from King County in the States? Yeah, Peter Kudenchuk. Yeah, yes. it's amazing. He was talking about the dispatchers there. And I thought it was fascinating. Again, a reason to come to international conferences is the culture so if you're on the phone with the dispatcher in his part of the world it's not do you mind doing a bit of cpr no they tell you what to do and if you they don't go, do it they're get on with it get, get on, on with it. it do this do this you're too slow they're really really giving that feedback in a very not aggressive but in a really positive and directive way yeah so they're giving permission and being assertive yes whereas in the uk we go do you mind and yeah. you know I'm telling you to, yeah. or each step of the way. And that's a cultural thing. I think in the UK, we need to sort of understand that you're allowed to tell people what to do <laughs> when 
seconds are at yeah, stake yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're doing time-sensitive interventions. So clearly that's very important. And Peter Kudenchuk was one of many world experts we had here who also did lots of networking and yeah. mentoring of new young people. And yeah, you know, what I was amazed was that all these guys from overseas, you know, they're headhunting talent and offering them jobs and trying to get them to come to their departments. It's something in the UK we're not as sharp at. So I've met, I've met three people, I won't name them, who have been offered a job at prestigious research units um, on the basis of the presentations here and the networking. And, you know, we, we, can, we can talk about whether, you know, whether that's a good or a bad thing, but wow, yes. you know, what opportunities are, have, have arisen here? Yeah, so if you're young, up and coming, or want to take advantage of it, you've got to come to Manchester <laughs> in 2020, because there'll be loads of opportunities to network. And I think that's what one of the best things of these ERC meetings are. We have science, but we also have very long lunch breaks yeah. and very long coffee breaks. We have a lot of networking going on. We have lots of workshops. We have lots of hands-on stuff. And we have the CPR competition, which was run by Malta. Yes. Yeah, that was quite, that was, um, that was quite impressive, actually. Yes, I'm already getting action replays sent to me on the VAR and did they really check the pulse or yeah. not. But I'm sure... That's going to make it even more exciting for there'll, next time. We, there'll be no video referees in Manchester. The, the, the umpires count, the decision counts. So we were doing um, the responders, we were doing the, the BLS, lots of controversies around BLS, lots of controversies about airway. Airway, yes. Uh, and clearly the airway stuff is controversial in that everybody wants to do more, but clearly more doesn't work for everybody. So you know, if you're a lay person, doing nothing may yep. be great, but Rudy Costa from Holland showed how their data shows airways and mouth-to-mouth matters, but the rest of the world is all going sort of hands hands only, clearly for advanced airways as well. The bottom line was you should, you should only really intubate if you know how to and can do it 95-plus percent yeah. of the time. Yeah. And Jerry Nolan gave an excellent talk on that. And for most of us, it's, it's bag mask or or a superglossic airway like the eye gel. And even bag mask can be hard in a lot of patients. So it's going to end up being nothing mouth-to-mouth eye gel. Yep. And tracheal intubation for everybody else who is expert in doing it. Whilst they're in arrest, but of course post-arrest, most of these patients or many of these patients will need to be intubated. And then doing the timing for that, again, that's a whole world of controversy sure. as well. But I wanted to get you on to the bit that you were talking about, which was adrenaline epinephrine so you know the trials come out and people have said oh adrenaline doesn't work and other people have said well actually it does work and you get better outcomes for a proportion of people but yes you get some more people who um, have poor neurological outcomes and when we reviewed this on St. Emlyn's we didn't come to a firm conclusion we didn't think there was enough there to say that you either should or you shouldn't but you gave a great presentation delving into the data a little bit more closely on this yes and I think the bottom line for me is that the the trial actually slightly favoured adrenaline in terms of if you look at the estimate of outcomes, you get more good survivors, but you also get slightly more bad survivors. And that's the issue. Are you willing to have more ICU admissions to generate those few extra survivors? And you, are you willing to have more people who are severely brain injured because they've been resuscitated when they'd have otherwise died and the issue with that is that 
we've also had sessions on post-resuscitation care. And with better neuroprognostication, we could make earlier decisions. And there's more and more evidence of using multimodal tools such as scanning, biomarkers, electrophysiology, clinical signs that would allow us to... Yeah, within the first 24 to 48 hours, say, this person is going to be severely mm. brain damaged, severely disabled, and then make decisions about withdrawal of treatment or, you know, based on also values and preferences of known of the individual or their family. And the other thing about resuscitating patients is that Gavin Perkins showed with his data, and I spoke about it in my lecture, Early survival can lead to end-of-life care and a good death with family members. It also offers the opportunity for those having end-of-life care to be considered for organ donation. And organ donation may benefit each, each person who becomes an organ donor may benefit several individuals. And so there's other downstream effects as well as good survival that we need to look at. I, I agree completely, and there was a really nice debate about whether ROSC is considered an appropriate outcome. And again, when we, we're doing our critical appraisals, we're always looking for patient-orientated outcomes. And of course, ROSC isn't primarily for the individual yeah. patient just um, a patient-orientated outcome. But as you quite, quite well said, if there are other patients involved in this, there are other people involved in this, there are sure. family members involved in this, yeah. and their outcomes are, are also important. And that was the Paramedic 2 trial. We better, sure. we better say yes, that, that, that was the trial Paramedic we're talking 2. About. And lots of people have spoken about that. But I don't think it quite gave us enough information to take adrenaline out of the guidelines. We, it didn't, didn't reach the threshold. No. Oh, no, I, I said it's kind of resuscitated itself to come back into the guidelines. But we've got to finish soon. But the other thing which I wanted to highlight, the other, and, and it's when the clearing some chairs in the background so that the noise will be terrible but the other one is hypothermia is not dead i think that's another message which has come out of this conference in that we're still not at a stage where we can say hypothermia does or does not work in pragmatic trials of cardiac arrest there was the data that showed that if we're doing it pre-hospitally we're not doing it quickly enough there's the data that shows that there's been a change in practice which is changing mortality which i've talked about with somebody else on the on this podcast already but yeah, there's still more work to do there. Basically, cardiac arrest is not a sorted topic. There's yeah, loads more. Lots to of do. challenges. Temperature management and temperature control remains important. We just don't know yeah. the target. So don't give up on controlling temperature, is my no, final word. 100% I agree with that. And the graphs are, and the data on that is really quite striking. Right, we're going to wrap it up now because we're going to be thrown out of this conference hall in any second now. But thank you so much for the conference. I've had a wonderful time. I'm delighted you're coming to Manchester. It is a wonderful place. I'd like to point out that the weather in Manchester today is better than it is in Ljubljana. Well, that's good. So all the comments that we had from the stage to say that the weather's going to be crap are wrong. Although this may be the one day of the year when that happens, so I'm not going to tinker any promises with it. But yeah, it'll be great to see you in Manchester next year. Thank you for coming, and I'm happy to do this again in Manchester in a year's time. I'll see you then. Thank you.